0: Welcome to a Prevent Connect podcast where we explore the prevention of violence against women. This is a project of the California Coalition Against Sexual Assault.
1: Hello, this is David Lee, and I'm speaking with Jetta Bernier, and she's the executive director of Mass Kids. How are you doing, Jetta?
0: I'm well. Thank you, David
1: great i'm really pleased that you'll be able to speak to us about some of the work that you've been doing in your enough abuse campaign and working with youth serving organizations and so can you just briefly describe Jetta, what mass kids enough abuse campaign is
0: mass kids is a 55 year old statewide child advocacy organization and the enough abuse campaign is a decade long Initiative specifically focused on preventing child sexual abuse. It was initially funded through the CDC for a five-year period and is now supported by the Ms. Foundation for Women. The campaign is a kind of a citizen education, community mobilization initiative that is involved in multiple aspects of social change, including you know the education of parents, uh, the training of professionals, working on organizational policy changes, and importantly on legislative issues as well.
1: So, Jedha, can you explain why is it important that campaigns like the Enough Abuse campaign work with youth-serving organizations in order to prevent child sexual abuse?
0: Well, you know, David, we know that YSOs are almost always safe places, and youth-serving professionals are almost always honorable people. However, because of the sheer numbers of adults interacting with children in these settings, we know it's not simply a question of if child sexual abuse will occur, but when. And so we believe that YSOs really need to be equipped with a comprehensive set of strategies that will help them create safer environments for children.
1: Great. Well, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about the Enough Abuse Campaign is that you have some really wonderful resources that we'll talk about at the end, but you have six steps that you recommend for youth-serving organizations to be able to do, so let's go through and talk a little bit about them. The first one is about comprehensive education.
0: Yes. I think many organizations do some basic core training about sexual abuse. From our perspective, it needs to focus not only on adult perpetration and on identifying those kinds of behaviors that might indicate an adult poses a risk to children. It also has to focus, importantly, on the issue of child-on-child sexual abuse. The U.S. Department of Justice indicates that 35% or more of sexual abuse incidents essentially involve child-on-child perpetration. And so we really have to have a dual goal of preventing, adults from abusing children today, but also helping children not develop sexually abusive behaviors in the future. And so our particular training that we do with schools and youth-serving organizations really is comprehensive in that respect. It talks about the basic information about sexual abuse as a public health issue, talks about touching and non-touching offenses, you know, demographics about who abuses and why, and it also, importantly, gives parents and professionals a specific prevention information and messages that they can share with the people that they serve or with their own children. We also, for example, help to identify uh, for professionals and parents, you know, yellow and red light behaviors in children and in teens that might indicate there needs to be an intervention. We also have some materials uh, that we've developed uh, specifically for parents of children who go to these youth-serving organizations. This is a booklet that we prepared, was commissioned uh, for us to write uh, by the Massachusetts Medical Society. We have a variety of videos as well. So we've got a really a toolkit of a variety of curricula and materials that we think really help to educate parents, a broad range of professionals, and even youth, about how specifically they can prevent child sexual abuse.
1: Now, I notice when you talk about the education, your focus is actually primarily on the parents and the adults while it does include youth, why is it so important to focus on the adult?
0: Well, you know, when we first received our grant in 2002 from the CDC, they challenged us to help build adult and community responsibility for preventing child sexual abuse. The concern was that at that time, most of our response had been aimed at very young children, educating them about good touch, bad touch, how to say no. While we recognize that those are important strategies, they cannot be our only strategy. We really have to have a comprehensive set of uh, strategies that. that include educating children, but I think, importantly, parents have to be the prime educators of those children. And in order for that to happen, parents themselves need to not only have knowledge about sexual abuse prevention, they have to be prepared and have the skills to be able to communicate those messages, importantly, to their children.
1: Right. Let's move on to the next step after comprehensive education, and that's getting down to comprehensive screening. Can you describe that a little bit?
0: Yes. Well, you know, most organizations have some already established protocols for screening prospective employees and volunteers. You know, they usually comprise of the written application, the interview, doing some reference checks. In the case of YSOs, they're also very much focused on doing checks that will identify whether this person has had any kind of legal involvement in the past, so they might do what's called a CORI check or a SORI check, a sexual offender registry check. Some might even do a social security check to verify different living locations. But we believe there are more bells and whistles that can be added to those protocols. For example, during an interview, we think it's important for these prospective employees to learn about the agency's child sexual abuse prevention policies. And from our perspective, the policy should be stating very clearly that if we find an abuser in our agency, we will notify police and prosecute, and we will not keep the incident confidential. In other words, we will not allow the moving of this abuser from one youth serving organization to the next one down the street. So, you know, we really believe that we have to ask in these various interviews a number of very specific questions, you know, have you ever had sexual fantasies involving children? Uh, Have you ever been accused of sexual abuse or found guilty of sexual abuse? You know, as an adult, have you ever been sexually involved with a child or teen? Do you view child pornography? These are the kinds of information that we need to be asking in these interviews, although those are tough questions. I think that most people would agree that for the benefit of keeping kids safe, these questions are okay to ask. We have various videos and, and scripts, for example, that we can share with our colleagues to help them expand their prevention policies around screening.
1: Great. Now, after screening, we get to the third step, which is reporting. This one is, of course, a very important piece, but in one that's in some ways kind of self-evident, why it's important.
0: Right, right. Well, of course, in every state, there are different uh, child protective service policies, different lists of mandated reporters, you know, when someone must file a report. Basically, what we're saying is you need to know your child protective service leaders. Outreach to them before an incident occurs. Develop a clear reporting protocol so that when an incident does happen, you will know exactly what to do when a child either discloses, when an adult discloses about a child or a teen that they know of, or whether an abuser discloses directly. So we need to make sure that people document allegations in the files, that they notify proper law enforcement and CPS. And, of course, notifying parents of victims, staying in touch with them, notifying boards of directors, attorneys, insurers. These are all important things that are part of a reporting and respond protocol.
1: Now, coming from the prevention perspective, I think while the reporting is essential for what we need to do, your next step, four, really has an incredible potential as a preventative measure and really setting the mail to say that child sexual abuse is not acceptable. So why don't you describe codes of conduct and why right. that is so important?
0: Yeah, you're so right, David. What we need to do is to, first of all, recognize that most youth serving organizations already are doing some boundary setting, okay? But we need to identify and strengthen what we mean by appropriate behavior. So the appropriate behavior needs to be age-appropriate, first of all, and not only the interactions between adults and children, and teens, but also between children and teens themselves, we need to be focusing on what is appropriate touch. You know, we don't really support the notion of no-touch policies. We think that children need nurturing, healthy, safe touch, but we need to define what that is. We're talking about a a variety of things related to this. You know, what kind of language can be used around children? What about dress codes? How does one demonstrate affections and shows of support in a way that is appropriate? What are the differences between on-site behaviors and maybe off-site issues when you're traveling with children or are away from the, the core organization. How do we address breaches in the code? This is very important because the, the whole purpose of codes is to make sure that everyone knows what's appropriate so that everyone in the setting, and I'm not just talking about supervisors and, and directors, but colleagues, will know when a particular behavior is really out of bounds. Why do we need that? Because we want to be able to, at that point, flag those behaviors, help individuals to get back on track so that we don't end up eventually with a reportable setting of offenses. We need to make sure that we provide colleagues in our organizations with absolute clear permission that if they see these inappropriate boundary violations, they have a right, a responsibility to share this with others in their organizations so that this can be corrected. And you know, one thing I just wanna raise too is that inappropriate behaviors are not only problematic for the child, but for the institution and the adult involved in the behavior, no matter what their intention or even lack of awareness is about the behavior. So in other words, someone might violate a boundary Without really having the intention of sexually abusing a child, this may not be part of a grooming process, but nonetheless, appearances of impropriety are very important to address, and so it's a benefit to the people who are violating the boundaries for people to be able to say, hey, you need to check that behavior. It doesn't really fit with what the code is here in our organization. So very, very critical piece, and some of our materials really help youth serving organizations understand, you know, why this is important, and then how does one develop codes of conduct? Uh, What are codes of conduct in other organizations? that might be modeled for them to look at and and then refine. So uh, I agree with you, David. This is an exciting piece because this to me really gets at, at the heart of the prevention issue
1: i right. am right now I've been speaking with Jetta Bernier, and she is the executive director of Mass Kids, and she's talking about their Enough Abuse campaign, and you get information at enoughabuse.org. And right now we're talking about steps that they recommend for youth serving organizations to be able to prevent child sexual abuse. We've got just a few more left. The next one you have is about modifying your physical environment. Can you describe that briefly?
0: Yeah, well, we clearly need to reduce the opportunity for sexual abuse to occur. And we can do that by creating safe spaces for children. The thing here again is that we don't necessarily need to be spending huge amounts of dollars to do this. There are a lot of very practical and low and no cost actions we can take. You know, for example, making sure that doors have windows or are left open, checking procedures at all entrances, or doing a more of a central intake kind of thing. Locking off spaces that are not being used, installing mirrors and ways to make sure that hidden spaces are more observable. You know, using cameras, that kind of thing. Improving lighting in darker areas, even outside side, David, you know, landscapes should ensure open, clear, visible spaces so that they won't be areas where children can be brought to for sexual abuse. Basically, the message is simple. We need to increase the visibility in our physical spaces. We need to improve the monitoring of who comes in, who comes out, all of that. And we need to generally enhance security. So I think if we can do that, we can really begin to reduce the risk that sexual abuse will occur in our facilities.
1: Right, And the final one, number six, was match mission to policies.
0: Right. Well, one important thing that all youth serving organizations need to understand is that they have to adopt policies that fit within their own mission. In other words, don't create so many policies that you run the risk of not being able to fully implement all of them. By doing that, you actually increase the liability of your organization. So stick to your mission. For example, different organizations have different missions to accomplish. Some of them are going to be able to come up with a policy that says, for example, we have a two adult rule, no solo workers under 18 working with children. You know That might work for for some specific organizations. But if you are doing a mentoring program, or a program where you're tutoring an individual child or a music instruction program where you're doing private lessons, you really can't have a two adult rule. And so you have to be able to first identify what is our core mission, what are the interactions between and among our staff and our children, and how do we really work together as a team to identify what are the appropriate behaviors and what are the ones that we think might cause more risk. I think another important thing that we should remember is that policies really need to support protective factors and not destroy them. So again, this notion of, well, we don't touch kids here. We don't hug kids. We don't pat them on the back. All of these things I think we need to take a very hard look at because, as I said earlier, part of growing up and part of being a child is being able to feel secure and supported and appropriate, safe, healthy touch is all a part of that. So I think we need to not take the easy road and say no-touch policies, we need to struggle through through with our core staff and even with youth in these programs and with parents, you know, what is allowable touch? And then once we identify that, we're on the road to creating some good boundaries that hopefully will prevent sexual abusers from, from breaking through
1: great ideas and you've been talking about resources and those would be available on the enoughabuse.org website you should do is just go to that website just click on the gatekeepers for kids preventing sexual abuse and youth serving organizations button and right there you can get some information and that has a keepers for kids' booklets and also some fact sheets. What if people also want some of the other tools, the screening tools and videos that you talked about? How can people get those materials?
0: Right. We're in the process now of pulling together a very comprehensive resource bank of all kinds of policies and bells and whistles, uh, tools, videos, that we think will help youth serving organizations. Those will be on our website shortly. We also have an assessment tool that can help organizations take a look at what are their particular strengths because youth serving organizations are great places for kids to be. We all know that. They build resiliency and self-esteem and all of that. The question is, you know, how can we make sure that they have even more capacity to prevent child sexual abuse? So that assessment tool will really help them identify areas of challenge and weakness so that they can address them through an action plan uh, that can then be reviewed on an annual basis so that they can measure progress. So we encourage people to call us. We're learning. As we go along with everyone else in this field, but we believe we do have some important things to offer at this time.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us the work that you're doing at Mass Kids and the Enough Abuse Campaign and really letting people know about the resources that are available to help supporting youth serving organizations.
0: You're so welcome, David. Thank you for listening to this Prevent Connect podcast. Prevent Connect is a project of the California Coalition Against Sexual Assault. With funding from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The views presented on Prevent Connect are not necessarily the views of the United States government, the CDC, or Calcasa. To learn more about Prevent Connect, visit www.preventconnect.org. For more information about Calcasa's mission or to show your support, visit calcasa.org. That's C-A-L-C-A-S-A dot O-R-G.